0: Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Smiley. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege to uh, lead our teaching team and preach at uh, all of our campuses, and it's great to be here in Noblesville today with all of you. Uh, Before we jump in to James, where we've been going uh, for the past month or so, uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, we just uh, pray for the people over in Turkey and Syria this morning. I confess, God, that this morning I woke up in a warm bed in a country where things, uh, in a community, where stuff like that just doesn't seem to happen. And I'm so far removed from it, God, and we pray that you would comfort those that are suffering, those that have lost loved ones, and uh, remind us that uh, this world is a place that needs you and needs your hope desperately. We pray for the church in Turkey and in Syria that is persecuted and marginalized. Pray that uh, they would raise up, be raised up, and serve in powerful, amazing ways in this season, God. Use your spirit to empower them in amazing ways. We pray this in your name, amen, amen. I do confess that... um, It really is something that is so far away, all of the suffering, all the stuff that happens in the news so often. And uh, as your pastor, I confess that that is not the first thing that I wake up and pray about. You know, this morning I woke up and thought, man, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Isn't that exciting? And those are the issues that we wrestle with here in our community. Man, our team isn't playing. Shucks. And um, it really is crazy how our world is, isn't it? Well, uh, as you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and I got a question for you. If the score of the game was 30 to nothing at halftime, do you think that the team that was on the losing end of that score would just give up? That they'd say, you know, we're not even going to show up to the second half. It is over. We're packing it in. I don't think they would do that. They would say, we have risked everything. Our whole careers, everything in our whole life has led to this moment. We will never, ever give up. They may even point to a result from a team that is kind of close to here that was ahead 33 to nothing this season. And they'd say, hey, never give up, right? I even heard in the opening remarks of the president's State of the Union address this week, America never gives up. That's what he said. That is kind of how we think. That is how we are taught to think and act and live. That is who we are as Americans. We never give up. And typically that is sound logic. But that's why Jesus is so confusing. At least to me. Because Jesus gave up. He gave up all the time. Jesus kind of made a habit of, you know, I could do something here, but no. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give up. It almost confounds us. Why would Jesus give up? Jesus is God. Jesus could win anything. He could win the argument. He could make the statement. He could prove the point. But Jesus repeatedly did not do that. He seemed to just give up time and time again. Why? When he first proclaimed to be the Messiah, he read the scroll of Isaiah in Nazareth, instead of proving that when people were threatened, he slipped out of the crowd quietly. His disciples urged him to reveal who it was that they knew him to be so that he could take over Rome and be the king who he really is. And instead, he didn't. He rebuked them and said, no, that's not how we do business. While praying one night with his friends, Jesus let the authorities arrest him. He let them. He gave up. Standing on trial, accused by lies, Jesus said, nothing. Carrying his cross to Calvary like a criminal. His opponents shouting at him when he was up on the cross. If you are the son of God, come down. Jesus could have. He could have commanded the angels in heaven to rescue him at any moment. Instead, he gave up. That's Jesus And people have criticized him. People have criticized his followers for years and years and years saying that maybe this is because Jesus did not have power that that's why Jesus routinely gave up because he wasn't capable. He didn't have the power to overcome. Well, I would say that was not Jesus' perspective. In John chapter 10, verse 18, this is what Jesus said. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. That's Jesus' perspective. No, 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 no. I did give up. I gave it up freely voluntarily and jesus as we said and see he had a habit of giving up over and over from the very beginning of his life to the very end on the cross philippians 2 tells us this though he was god he did not think of equality with god as something to cling to instead he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus gave up all the time. See, Jesus is not only the one who we place our faith and trust in, He is our Lord, he is our Savior, he is the object of our faith, but Jesus is also the model of our faith, that we seek to be like Jesus, we seek to live according to his example, and if Jesus is one who gives up, that should be our modus operandi as well. See, we have been studying for over a month in the book of James, and you should turn there uh, right now. We've been studying this book, talking about how faith works and how faith in God always, always works from our head to our hands. That's what faith does. It doesn't just live up in our minds. That's not what faith is and James we've been arguing he does not make a distinction in different kinds of faith that there's not varying degrees of faith that there's like really strong faith that some people have and, and and weak faith that other people have or you know this person has genuine faith but you know this person they don't really have genuine faith but they may have like saving faith James does not mess with adjectives when it comes to faith he says you know faith is faith there's only One kind of faith. And that is who James, that's what he's saying. That's what he's arguing. And we're going to learn something extremely critical about faith that we have yet to talk about. And it's counterintuitive to everything that we think and do in the 21st century. And it is that faith gives up. Faith gives up. Because we follow Jesus in the right times, in the right places, faith calls for us to give things up. And as crazy as that sounds, a faith that works its way from our head to our hands, according to James, is a faith that gives up in at least a few ways. And James explains some of those. So in James chapter 3, that's where we will start, verse 13. James says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, Unspiritual, demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. James has a lot to say here. But what he is saying is quite simply as he starts verse 13 if you are wise, If you understand God's ways, you're going to live differently. And we should be nodding our heads at this point. If we've been reading James, we know this is exactly what James has been saying. Yes, if you are wise, if you have faith, in other words, you are going to live differently. That's exactly what he's been saying. And if you're wise, you're going to prove it. You're going to prove this. And what this looks like is it's going to come with, he says in verse 13, a very key word for us today, humility. And James will talk about that, that it comes with humility, because there is a humility that comes with wisdom. Wisdom humbles us, and James has been hinting at this for the whole book We are humbled by wisdom because none of us have it. That's not where wisdom comes from. The fifth verse of the whole book, James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, you need to ask God. That's where wisdom comes from. He also says in verse 17 of chapter one, whatever is good, whatever is perfect comes down to us. You see, James has been making this argument. If we're going to live wise lives, if we're going to live lives of faith, that's because of God, not me. And that's where the humility falls in. The good things that we do, the wise choices that we make, I don't get to take credit for that. I have to say, Thank you, God. That is humbling. They say, I don't really deserve any of the good things that I have in my life. It's all from God. You see, we don't prove that we are wise by getting fancy degrees on our wall. We don't prove that we are wise by saying fancy words that people have to look up or think of clever things that we have to say. We prove that we are wise by being humble acknowledging who God is, what God has given us, and how we live. See, this means something. This means that a faith that is humble, a faith that works, is a faith that gives up our perspective. That's what James is saying. There is earthly, unspiritual perspective in verse 15. And then there's, God's perspective that is different than the earthly, unspiritual perspective. And we have to give up the earthly, unspiritual perspective. And this is the hard part. That is how we think. We only think through our perspective. It's normal for us to look around the world and interact with the situations and the things that are presented to us, and we see through the lenses that we have That is very normal. But what we have to understand is that we need to give that up and look up and think that God has a perspective for us. That there is a worldly wisdom that is prevailing in every situation that we encounter. and We need to give up the worldly wisdom for God's wisdom. That is what we need to do. Because when we think like the world, it leads to exactly what James described, jealousy over what others have. We see what we don't have and we want it. Selfish ambition. I want to be lifted up over here and in this situation. I would like that. That seems to be what's best. I should pursue that. No, you shouldn't. That's worldly. That's earthly. Maybe I should favor others who can give me things or it might benefit me if I picked this person over this person or if I got to know this person because they have this position. That is worldly wisdom and that is the way of the world. How many of us have been disappointed in our life because we didn't have the right connection? You didn't have the right friend that worked at this place so you could get this job. You didn't no, the person that was sitting on this board that could pick your kid to win this scholarship or you didn't have this connection to get invited to this place or this party or this thing. It's how we think. It's how we operate in the world. How many times have we been the people that have favored somebody because they could do something for us all oh, the time. Yeah, I know I mentioned the state of the union briefly at the beginning of this message, but this is just too easy of an illustration here on this point. When I read this section of James, jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, there were people shouting at the president as he was talking. <laughs> That's disorder. James would say, I know what's going on there. Um, right here, there is jealousy and selfish ambition. There you will find disorder. I think he nailed it, don't you? There's a little jealousy. There's a little mm, selfish ambition in that room. And not to pick only on one side of the aisle, but was everything spoken into the microphone uh, Perfectly truthful and without any hints of boasting. Verse 14. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. I'll let you decide on that one. You add all of that up and what do you get? The finest display of worldly wisdom that we can gather in one room a beautiful display of functioning government, right? Worldly wisdom right there on display for all to see. James, the Lord says, that is not how we work. We give up how we think we are supposed to think. We give up our perspective for God's wisdom. God's wisdom is different. It is not natural. We have to give up our old earthly perspective when we embrace faith in Jesus. Keep reading verse 17. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace, loving, and gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That is godly wisdom. And it is not my natural inclination. It is not ours. We need the Holy Spirit to put his wisdom deep in us so that we can live this way. I want to think about why Jesus gave up routinely. One thing that it teaches me is that Jesus knew the world was not going to be changed by even his beautiful, perfect words. That's not how the world is changed. And so many times he did not speak. It's fascinating. God's wisdom is so different than your wisdom and my wisdom. Ours doesn't work. We gotta give it up. Give it up. That's not the only thing faith gives up, our perspective. James 4 verse one says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war with you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you cannot get it. So you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. I want you to imagine, I hope I reflected it a little bit, the tone that you could think James would be speaking when he is writing these words. Not a pleasant one to be on the receiving end of, would it? Not very pleasant at all. And it is important to remember as we're reading these things, it's so easy to say, this is for someone else. But James would say, no, 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 no. I wrote this letter to the believers scattered abroad. This letter is to the church. Let me say that again. Jealousy, quarrels, impure motives, wanting things they do not have all in the church. As disappointing as that can be, I don't know about you, I find a strange bit of comfort knowing that the early church was dysfunctional. Is that wrong of me? (laughs) Maybe shouldn't romanticize the early church as much as maybe we do in our mind. These people had the same struggles that you and I have each and every day. And James goes at it. He certainly does. This is the church where you find all of this stuff. And this is what I think James is saying, if I could summarize it. A faith that works is a faith that gives up trying to impress others. See, the motivation for all the jealousy, the fights, the desires is explained in verse 4. This is what he says. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. See, that is the desire that is behind all of these things. A desire to be liked, to be approved by all the people in the world around us. James is saying, stop worrying about that. Why do you want that thing? Why do you pursue that status? Why are you fighting with that person? It doesn't matter. God is who matters. Being a friend of God, we don't need to be friends with the world. Now, this is not to say that our reputation with outsiders is irrelevant. It is very relevant. It matters in a significant way. We should be known as people who live out our faith authentically in the world, but we're not controlled. It doesn't matter what that means at the end of the day that will bring a certain reputation all to its own if we are people that live like Jesus. It means that we're not really worried about what the important or popular or powerful people at school, at work, in the neighborhood, in this community, really think that we live to worship God and God alone, not to impress or be friends with anyone else in the world. And God will bring us friends. See, that is what James is saying. Stop trying to impress other people. And I was perusing the internet and I found some good news on this front. And maybe this is for the ladies out there. Have you ever heard of Marie Kondo? The Tidying Up uh, Wizard of uh, 2019, 2020. She became famous. She wrote this book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Well, I heard some really good news. She had, um, and maybe you remember, uh, back when COVID, we had the stay-at-home order. Everyone was locked in at their home. Netflix had this like, um, documentary that just went crazy about her and her methods and everyone was learning how to fold their clothes a certain way and organize their garage a certain way and we had all this time and um, maybe you feel a little pressure to please other people in your home or the person down the street that may come in your home. Well, um, check out this headline. I thought it was fantastic. It said she, Marie Kondo, has given up on tidying after having three kids. Isn't that great news? It's fantastic news. (laughs) You can give it up. See that pressure, just lift it off your shoulders. It's gone. Your house doesn't have to be perfect anymore. That's a gift for you today. You see, God has our best interest in mind. You're wondering like, what does this have to do with James? Well, God has our best interest in mind. We were not created to impress other people. We have to let it go. We're created to worship God and God alone. And maybe you're thinking, well, what if I fail? I fail at this stuff all the time. I I, I make decisions based on my perspective. I fail. I make decisions and I mess up because I, I put too much importance in what this person next to me thinks and I mess up all the time. Well, I think God has a word for you. It's in James 4, verse 6. He gives grace generously. I think that's all we need. God gives grace generously. Some of the other translations say it this way. God gives more grace. God gives greater grace. God gives grace upon grace upon grace. That that is exactly what we need. I was trying to read the whole book of James every day in in the month of January. And as I was reading it through, James 4, 6 was like this thing that just kept sticking in my mind. It's what I needed to hear that God gives grace generously. That is who he is when we fail to live the life of faith that gives things up that we are supposed to, even when we don't, God gives grace upon grace upon grace and then some more grace. Because as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Because God is a God who gives so much grace. He gives us all the wisdom that we need. A faith that gives up is a faith that gives up power. Ultimately, that's what Jesus did. He lived a life that had no interest in earthly power. And that is what James is repeating over and over again. There is this humility. God gives grace to the humble we are to humble ourselves before God, humble ourselves before God. He repeats this over and over and over again. It's kind of the culmination of what James is arguing here, that we give up our perspective, we give up planning to please others, but ultimately we give up control of our life to God. We don't need to be concerned with power in this world, in this life. That is not what a life of faith is marked by. It's marked by giving it up. We don't need it. A faith that works is seen in a life humbled before God. You may notice in verse six, there are quotation marks around that, meaning that it is quoted from the Old Testament. It's from Proverbs chapter three. It's here in James chapter four. It's actually quoted again in first Peter chapter five. This concept that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble is something we have. Have to think about a lot. This is core to the experience of faith in Jesus. This is what Jesus wants for you and I to be humble people who say, I will give up power over and over again. And I get that there are people that push back on this concept, but you don't understand all the things that are going on in the world. You don't know what these people are gonna do when they get power. God says, no, you don't understand. That's not how I work. My ways are different. My wisdom says, you hold it like this. And if you have it, you still hold it like this. That you don't need to pursue it. That we have wounds, that we have hangups for why maybe we're like, no, you don't understand, I need the power. God says, no, humble yourself before me. I love what the famous English preacher, Charles Spurgeon said. If he, God, were a tyrant, it might be courageous to resist. But since he is a father, it is ungrateful to rebel. I'm gonna read that again. (laughs) If God were a tyrant, it might be courageous to resist. But since he is a father, it is ungrateful to rebel. It is ungrateful to hold things here when God says, I'm asking you to give it up. That is what faith looks like. It looks like you giving up. You may be thinking, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? How do I be humble? It's hard. But James lists a few things right here in verses seven through nine for us to practice, which is what it looks like to be Humble before God. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I don't have time to go on a long rabbit trail about spiritual warfare here, but resist the devil he will flee from you. You do not need to be afraid of the things that are happening in our world, in your life. You can resist the devil. And maybe a different way to rephrase this is, how about we start hating sin like God hates sin? That would be resisting the devil in my life. If I could just hate sin a little more, that would be good resistance for me resist the devil. That looks like humbling ourselves before God. Verse 8, come close to God and he will come close to you. This is one of the most amazing promises in all of scripture. It's kind of buried here in the book of James. If you come close to God, God will always come close to you. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you've done, how many times you've failed. He gives grace generously. Come close to God. He will come close to you. That's amazing. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Again, acknowledge our sin. We need to repent. We need to be people who say, you know, I messed up. That is very humbling. I screwed up. That's what it looks like. And fourthly here, he says, giving God undivided loyalty. Again, this division between God and the world. I have a desire to to place importance on these relationships over here and pleasing these people over there. No, I don't need to think about that. I need to put God first in my life always. A faith that gives up is a humble faith. It's a faith that doesn't need any power. It's a faith that trusts that God is the one who sees you. God is the one who knows what's going on. He acknowledges everything and sees how you are living. You don't have to live for the recognition of your boss, the world, your school, your teacher, your friends, your coach, none of those things. It doesn't mean that we need to pursue awards or or championships or raises. That is not why we live We may attain some of those things, but that is not the most important. And I know it's so easy to say that. We all know that in our mind. But James is saying we can know that, but do we live that out every day? That is what Jesus did. Those things didn't matter to him, and so he gave up. And that's why he doesn't make any sense to us. He didn't make any sense to the disciples. He didn't make sense to the culture then, the culture now, or even the church. We just don't get him a lot of the time. Jesus didn't care about power. Jesus didn't care about prestige. Jesus didn't care about popularity. He gave up. And for those of you who have lived a life of faith for years, doesn't it ever feel like from time to time. Man, I give up a lot of things. (laughs) That's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God designed it. We're giving up a way of life that we see all around us for a new one. And God is calling us to it. He says, give it up. Some of the most exciting seasons in my life are when I gave up the most things. I can vividly remember getting my first paycheck and my first real job and thinking, man, I practiced tithing when I made $10 mowing the grass and put a dollar in the plate. That was easy. I am literally giving up an opportunity to do something, to buy something by doing this okay, Lord, it's exciting to say, I trust you. I remember wrestling with what I was gonna do with my life and and I had all these plans because I was raised from a little tyke to be a boilermaker and I was gonna go to Purdue and I was gonna be an engineer and I was gonna have this great job and make all this money and God said, I need you to give that up. I don't feel sorry for me. That's exciting that God knocked on my heart and said, I want you to give that up. Praise God. That is what we should be doing, giving up the way we think for what God wants for us. That is the life of faith. And Jesus did it because that is what the father wanted. I wanna reread Philippians chapter two because it says exactly the same thing. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That is why we give up. We live this way. This is how we live. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to death. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. He gave him the name above all other names, that at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, the Father. See, a life of faith that gives up is not one destitute to be stomped on forever. God promises us that if we humble ourselves, if we give up, He will lift us up. In His time, He will lift you up in honor. James 4:10. We're going to finish our service here today by singing a song singing a song in response to this message that is hard for me. It's called, Here's My Heart. We're going to sing about surrendering our heart, surrendering our life to God, because that's what a faith that gives up is. Those of us who have faith in Christ will be marked by giving up things for Jesus. And so I want to ask you, is there any area in your life that you are clinging to? How you think things should go and you think you know how it's supposed to go. Maybe we should give up and think God's ways. Is there any tiny space in your heart where you're trying to win the approval of people in your life as opposed to God. Maybe we could give that up today. Is there something in your life that is destructive that prevents you from living a godly way? Maybe we could bring it to the Lord today and say, I I need to give that up. And I don't know how to conquer that. I need your wisdom, I need your strength. Maybe you've been wrestling with the Lord for, for months or years or decades. And if you're honest with yourself, you've never truly given him your heart and your life. Jesus says it so clearly. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world? He had lost his soul. A faith that works gives up. God, we thank you for your words. May we be a people that is unafraid to hand you the keys to our life and our hearts. Prompt us in every way to give up the things that we need to right now in your name. Amen.